1: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit vitalent.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds And while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer, we're talking all things CMO. Hi, this is Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome to another fun filled episode of Confessions of a Marketer. Today we're talking with David Cooperstein, a longtime CMO. He also spent a stretch at Forrester Research advising CMOs around the globe on how to tackle the issues they face. He's a smart, insightful leader, and I think you'll enjoy the discussion. Brief program note, though, before we get to the chat. Next episode, we're talking with John Hayworth, a veteran of senior management at Cigna, Pillsbury, The Washington Post, PeopleSoft, and Fidelity. He's had a remarkable career in which he's had responsibility for business development, globalization, and marketing. He's one of the most thoughtful people I know, and I consider him a good friend. We're going to discuss supplier management and some other marketing curiosities next time. Recorded the discussion a week or so ago, and it's a good one, so do stay tuned for that. All right. David Cooperstein. He's an independent marketing and strategy leader whose past clients include Pebble Post, Adobe, and Ascendant Network. David works with startup companies, including T-Vision Insights, Summit Sync, and Cubic on marketing, positioning, and strategic advice. I wanted to talk with David because he's been a CMO and has spent many years advising them, so he knows what he's talking about. Let's get to the discussion. David Cooperstein, it's great to have you on Confessions of a Marketer. Welcome.
0: Great. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad to be here.
1: The average tenure for a CMO is much shorter than other C-level positions. Why do you think that is? And what advice would you give to a CMO taking a seat today so that they can beat the odds?
0: Yeah, so um, I think this is true for a couple of reasons, Um, one of which I'll get to later when we talk about the type of CMO that fills uh, the role for a company. But from what I've seen and from people that I've met, CMOs tend to stay a place the shorter, so those who sort of fit into the category of applying the same approach to a different company, they sort of take their roadmap to successful marketing and they put it in place and they execute, uh, and then they get to a point where they're ready to redo the roadmap. So um, they, <laughs> I think they they tend to go in there with a uh, more of a project mentality or more of an I know what I'm doing here mentality, um, and then uh, they get to a certain point where the plan that they have in place works or not. If it doesn't work, that's a different reason for why they might leave. Um, but if it works, then they get to a point where their value coming into the company uh, is expended. And depending on the type of say, uh, person they are, either they will modify their plan to take on some new role within the company or take, uh, take marketing in a new trajectory, or they will take on the next role that allows them to do the same thing. So those CMOs that stay in place for one to two years or two to three years max um, I think those are the people who tend to come in thinking they know the answer and they know how to get it done. And then they're done when they get that part done, they're ready to move on. Uh, you know, they pull in their agency, they pull in, they make their incremental changes and, and that's it. Those who stay in place longer what I've, from what I've seen, um, they, uh, have a longer view of all the aspects of their role. So they think about the media, uh, that they need to change how they think about marketing operations, their role in the product development for the company. Uh, and their role as a corporate strategist and a corporate uh, executive. Um, and they engage far beyond the sort of executional elements of that uh, role, that other sort of roadmap person might approach the job with. So when I think about people who have stayed in the job for a long time, like Mark Pritchard at p g uh, which is more obviously more of a consumer company or Ann Lunis at Adobe, who's been there for 11 years now as CMO. Um, Or even people like Joe Tripodi, who has had multiple long stints as CMO. He's now at Subway, but he was at Coke for uh, eight years. Uh, And even Jonathan uh, Mildenhall, who was until recently the CMO at Airbnb, who was there for three and a half years. Even in that broad mix of uh, B2B and consumer and startup companies, I think they all had a long-term view of what they were trying to achieve. And that wasn't drive the marketing message. It was more, how do I drive the company to success? And that may sometimes include marketing. It may include the product. Uh, It may include some of the operational technology implications of of what the company is doing. So Mark Pritchard's now on a um, sort of an industry-wide bandwagon to change the way marketers account for their digital media spend. And that is something that P&G benefits from tremendously because they spend $2 billion a year in advertising. But it's also a fundamental relook at a very rapidly moving change in the way they did marketing and then rationalizing it to to see if it made sense or not. And that's that's a corporate executive's responsibility. Um, Not all CMOs go in with that level of thought process. So to me, the ones who stay the longest, the ones who stay more than the average of I think it's 4.2 years at the moment, they define strategy, they evangelize the business, Uh, they bring it. They basically bring the customer to the table and make the company think about, what the customer wants from the business, not just what the operations or the product want to give the customer thinking that that's a a beneficial way of going to market. So they usually, and the people that I mentioned there, they're probably more business people than marketers, uh, but their role in the market in the, in the organization is as an operating role as marketing. And so I say that, and then, uh, two things that I want to point out, one is that CMOs tenure is not that much shorter than CIOs, uh, from a recent Harvard business school study that I saw. Uh, maybe a half a year or shorter. CFOs do also change jobs more more frequently, but they are that's sort of uh, baked into the way they think about their their job. But I liked uh, what Adam Bryant in the New York Times pointed out this past weekend. He's been writing a column about uh, called The Corner Office for uh, the New York Times for the last ten years, and he summed up all of what he did in terms of those interviews. It was I think 525 interviews, and he concluded based on all that research and all that analysis of what he had learned that there was really no one way to define success in a senior leadership role. It really depends on the company and what you bring to the table and um, unique aspects of a person's life that uh, help them be successful. And just one other thing I'd mention here is that not all these turnovers are uh, involuntary. Some of them are quite voluntary and that uh, I would attribute to the, um, the ambition or the ambitious nature of a lot of CMOs because they uh, like to be uh, highly visible people that are leaning forward into what the customer wants, they tend to be more in the public spotlight than the other C-level executives. Some, some CEOs obviously are in the public spotlight, um, but CMOs tend to be in the spotlight. And from the past research that I've done for my years at Forrester, one of the things that CMOs very often aspire to is either the next big company, or so, so go higher on the revenue front, or they are looking for a C- CEO seat. Uh, and so they, they sometimes move around voluntarily because they want to find the right fit for them to move into the corner office themselves.
1: It really shows the breadth of what a CMO does these days, right? It's not just marketing. You know? Yes, that's correct. So what are what are the major pressures on CMOs these days? What do you see?
0: Um, so the pressure of the CMO is, is fairly unique. So one thing that, that causes pressure for the CMO, I think, is that there is not a degree that says... You are an expert, and you've been certified as the best CMO on the planet, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is frustrating because it's all what you bring to the table. It's a it's a very individual job, and it it um you bring to it what you uh, have had in terms of experience and knowledge, and your ability to work with others. So that's a pressure that's sort of inherent in the fact that it is a job that could come from a person in operations or sales or have a career uh, built in marketing or product. So that's one kind of pressure. But specifically, the pressure I think that comes with the territory is people often refer to marketing as having a T-shape where you have to look uh, horizontally across the top of the T, and you also have to look down into the organization. And for me, the big challenge with CMOs is that they are constantly playing the corporate executive game as well as managing their department and then as well, making all the customers and all the employees feel good about their jobs right. <laughs> or their relationship with the company, I should say. So there are pressures inside and outside of the company that land on the, the CMO's lap. I think for B2B in particular, they feel the pressure from the sales teams. Those are individuals who want more leads. They want the story to be clear. They want the collateral in front of them so they can make the pitch to their next customer. And they want the marketers, the, the CMO, to be responsible for translating Customers needs into uh, all of those uh, stories that need to be told to drive business So there's a lot of pressure from the inside to make sure that they are hearing and understanding what the need is on the outside With consumer brands, you know marketing is basically responsible for driving growth in the business There is a sales team in some of those companies that is managing the channel uh, the retailers, but the marketer uh, Especially the CMO needs to be thinking about is the product competitive is it staying fresh is our messaging unique are we hitting the numbers with all the different uh, tools of lead gen and consumers? I don't, I don't know if you'd call it lead gen, but all the different ways of, of driving growth for an organization all fall at some point into the marketer's lap of making sure that that uh, decision, whether it's a media decision or a creative decision or a product positioning uh, decision, that all falls in the marketer's lap. And when the numbers hit the skids, uh, very often people look at the marketer to say, why did that happen? Um, so that, that constant need to look in. And, and so, you add that to the fact that marketing as, a, as an organization has never really had technology support its development. And now you're looking at the same change management issues in marketing that affected supply chain in the past and finance in the past and, um, you know, sales in the, in the more recent past, uh, have all had the technology at their disposal and marketers are just now getting their hands around. What does all the technology mean? What does all the data that that technology spits out mean? Um, And how do I change my marketing approach to deal with that? So it's another level of pressure that they're feeling. So, um, you know, it's a changing role. I should say it's a changing discipline. Um, And CMOs are right in that sort of uh, midpoint of if they've grown up in the new way of marketing, they may be missing some old school ways of understanding what marketing does. Uh, and if they've grown up in uh, the old world, it's, it's, those, these are hard things to learn because it wasn't what they were trained to do as marketers. I,
1: I, in my experience, uh, you know, the marketing group is one of the biggest consumers of technology resources in most companies now.
0: Uh, now it is. I, I would say that the big change has been, um, I don't know if it's just technology, but it's certainly most of the data is filtered through marketing because the decisions have to be made about customer experience, about channels that are working or not working. Um, about uh, customer satisfaction. Uh, A lot of the MPS scores are collected for the marketers to decide whether they need to change positioning or change messaging. Uh, There's still a lot of technology that affects supply chain and finance and all that, but um, the newest uh, spending, I think, is coming from uh, the marketing teams.
1: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. And what's interesting, the development of SaaS technology has really kind of taken the burden off the internal IT resources. So you can go out and you can get Salesforce, you can get, okay. you know, all those um, web-based uh, tools that didn't exist 15 years ago.
0: Yeah, I, I think there. So for smaller companies, that's definitely true that you can go out and just say, I want to, you know, establish a contract with Salesforce and HubSpot, and you know, seven or, and, and buy media off Facebook directly, and do some of those things that are fairly easy to just log into and start acting on. Um, I think for bigger companies, the challenge is how do those tools, which they are tools, impact the foundation of a company, which is the data sure. um, and the product, to make sure that there is an integration. And so that I think that's true that. The traditional IT department has uh, doesn't have as strong a role to play because of SaaS, but there's a, a, a very strong new set of people in the marketing operations group or the marketing technologist group that has to think about how are we going to use these tools to our advantage and not have so many that we don't actually know what they're doing. And managing those marketing stacks is one of the challenges that I don't think many marketers circa five years ago and longer ever thought was going to be an issue. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but there are you know, layers and layers of technology, all of which does do very specific things. And deciding on which technology to deploy for a particular marketing problem is is a big challenge, given that there's, I think from the latest MarTech uh, display, about 4,500 companies that take their tiny little bit of the marketing piece and try to manage it.
1: Right. Let's talk about personalities. There are a few types of CMOs fairly commonly thought of as builders, fixers, and scalers. Do you think these skills, you know, which kind of appear to be specialized, pigeonhole a CMO or do you think a builder can become a fixer and so forth?
0: Yeah. So, um, so let me take that two ways for, I, I think these are more, so these three categories, if you will, of skills, I, I don't think they're individual skills. I think the builder, the fixer and the scaler have different things that they bring to the table, but it's more than one thing. Right. Um, and I think there, so I think of them as more mindsets that come with a set of skills like, uh, the builder knows how to do that initial integration of technology, and they also know how to uh, scale up media plans, and they understand the, how to do positioning and uh, setting a core message for the business. Right. I would think they tend to hire scalers uh, if they are early on in the in the company's life and, and bring in a scaler who can do the lead gen on the B2B side or can do the growth hacking on the B2C side. Um And that is a different person in some cases, but the scaler needs to also be sure that they are scaling in the right direction and it's sustainable. So I think the builder and the scaler probably work hand in hand. I think the fixer is the one that comes in if the builder didn't do the right job or if just over time what the builder built is no longer relevant to the marketplace, then you have the fixer come in. The fixer is probably more of a later stage person. Uh, Again, if you're talking startups.
1: Although maybe some CMOs, you know, think of themselves as fixers, even if they're in a building phase or a scaling phase, because they want to come in and fix whatever happened before them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would I would consider myself to be in that category of if you're fixing the fact that nothing exists, uh, that's a fixer. (laughs) 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 Or that they delayed marketing for too long or they thought they had an idea for what marketing was and and decided they, um, you know, that it wasn't right. That's that's why the fixer comes in. So uh, right. You know, the CMO is not always the first hire, and that's uh, that's a, de- a good debate to have about uh, when, on the startup side, you bring in a CMO. Because I, I believe that setting positioning early on uh, is the right thing to do. You may have to adjust it as you get product-market fit, but those two things should be going hand-in-hand. Hand. The marketer can help determine that before they start doing a lot of spending. But you're right, that depends on what needs to be fixed. But the builder, to me, is the one that is... Um, Laying the foundation. So I would I, maybe it's just the order of them. I would say you fix it first and figure out what it's going to be Then you build it and then you scale it But sure. the main point is I don't think it necessarily pigeonholes a CMO if they're really good as a strategist They should be able to do the right thing for the company at the time, but there are um, Two other ways that I think about this question of what is the category of CMO you're looking for if you're a CEO looking to hire The first way to think of it is I think there's a big difference, there's a difference between a strategist and an executor so at that first level, the strategist is somebody who's going to be more of the big thinker, probably good at positioning, probably good at competitive analysis, and probably good at thinking about what are all the things that we need to do to make sure the company has a clear path to a unique value proposition and then, and then markets that. I think the executor is the one that understands and can take that brand direction and apply it. Uh, and that's a person who's thinking about, again, depending on the organization, uh, lead development, uh, sales decks. Um, on the consumer side, the right campaigns for the right audience at the right time. How to work with data. Um, I think those the executors are the ones that take the story from the strategist and they put it into practice. Um, and I think that's a compliment. I think some some CMOs are very tactical and very executor oriented. I think that's okay. It depends on what the company needs. But I think the strategist is the one that is more the uh, the, the big picture thinker who doesn't get distracted by the tactics. But there's also uh, you know data wonks versus creative people, and there's also people who are uh, Advertising centric versus people who are customer focused and want to tell the story to individual customers. So there's there's a couple of different ways to think about that. But I also think there's so just one other other sort of approach to this answer. Uh, and I know I'm giving you a lot of different options here, but um, I also think it's uh, up to the CEO to decide what they need the CMO to do. Um, so if you think about tenure and you think about why a CMO might last or not, sometimes it's it the CEO. Thought they needed a brand fix, but they actually needed a technology reboot. Right, right. <laughs> uh, or they needed somebody who was very product focused to run product marketing along with brand, but didn't hire that person when they started out because they thought it was a brand problem. So um, there's a great Harvard Business School article written about um, about this topic, uh, which is called "The Trouble with CMOS." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love the title. <laughs> that hits close um, to home, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And well, the tr- part of the trouble is that they're not all the same, and that's sure. really the sort of the, the one sentence conclusion from the article. But depending on what the company needs, there are sort of enterprise P and L type CMOs, and those people are kind of they run it. They're they're almost like the CEO of marketing. So they'll have customer service and product and all these other factors reporting into them because they're responsible for making sure the P and L is successful for their particular slice of the business or the whole business, depending on their role. Then there's The strategist and the strategist is really the thinker, the one who's making the big decisions, but then has a team of executors, say, in a brand organization where you've got a lot of brand marketers supporting the CMO. There's that strategist whose job is really to make sure that they're thinking about growth, they're thinking about innovation, and they're making sure that people around the company are executing on that. But that's a CMO kind of like the Mark Pritchard model where they have a very strategic role, but there's a lot of people executing underneath them. And then the role that is probably very familiar to most CMOs is commercialization role, which is whether it's running advertising campaigns or running sales campaigns or signing up for events. It's the act of commercializing what the marketing organization is trying to do so that the, uh, the teams that are driving revenue can do their job. And that is probably the most common form of CMO where, they are in lockstep with whoever is driving the actual closing of business, whether it's you know retail channel or um, B2B sales team. Whoever is closing that business uh, is getting support by the marketing team. And that commercialization role is, is obviously a critically important one to a lot of CEOs.
1: If you got a great offer today to be a CMO and you started, say, next Monday, what would your – I know that's a short turnaround, isn't
0: it? But, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's smaller companies act that quickly. So, you know.
1: <laughs> what, what would your first week or month look like? And you know, in the thought of giving some CMOs some advice here, what do you think they should tackle first?
0: Yeah, so uh, I think the most important thing to do walking into a company is not assume any answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and very often this is hard for a CMO because the CEO picks up on something that they said, this is how, how it's happened for me. Um, is the CEO and the CMO candidate are having a conversation and they say something that is almost like the exact thing that the CEO was thinking about but hadn't been able to verbalize in terms of positioning. Right. But then, then, the, then the, you get the job and you walk in the door the first day and nobody else was in that conversation. So I think the first thing that needs to happen is that, um, and what I would be doing is setting up meetings with all the people in the teams and not just at the senior level but anybody who's customer facing first uh, and then other people in the organization uh, after that and talk to customers, talk to as many customers as possible in those first couple of weeks with the intent of learning not why they're a customer, but how they justified spending money with the company. So whether that's a consumer using shampoo or a, you know, a, an enterprise buying some big software product or, or you know, a, a company buying energy, I think it's really important to understand what is it that that person had to do in order to justify their expense? Because that's where you find out where the rubber really meets the road of, you know, I bought this versus that. Uh, or um, I had to justify my expenditure because this was a new thing that I wanted to buy And I think learning that comes from hearing the customer say specifically I bought this because right dot 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 um, And even a consumer saying you know, why'd you buy that shampoo? It could be because I got a coupon. It could be because the packaging was nice. It could be the smell was great um, You don't know that until you actually ask the question um, Otherwise, you're making a lot of assumptions and I think the important thing in the first couple of weeks is not to make assumptions uh, but to talk to people and I would say also within that month, there does need to be something that happens that is a powerful just indication that uh, you're the CMO and you're here to, you know, make something better. So whether it's just hosting something internally as a get together or something that sort of communicates that you're on the side of both the employees and the customers, I think it's a good thing to do sometime in the first month to do something could be small but widely penetrated, like uh, doing a, a customer round table with internal folks. Yeah. But just something to get the the ground moving on what your reputation is going to be because that's going to be a big stage setter for how you get perceived as you roll out new marketing plans and new messages. Then the other thing is uh, people are very big on, especially in the interview process, doing a 30, 60, 90 day plan. Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of an awkward um, manufacturing of timeframes based on the calendar. Right. (laughs) Because the reality is that uh, let's say the website is the most important thing to tackle first. That doesn't take a neat amount of time. That could be Faster if you just want to get it done or slower if you want to get the right agency in to do the work So what I would think that to do by the end of that say first 30 to 60 days is have a very concrete plan for the prioritization of change um, and start getting things done recognizing that there's some op- things that are ongoing that need to be attended to and be clear about where the new things are going to come in and replace the old things and then also obviously make sure that the team is Um, Doing what they need to do to get their work done. So when I advise CMOs what to do I say try to think about one thing that is not going to be your final statement But is a big statement to make about your role in the company get to know as many people as possible both inside and outside because they're gonna Tell you what the answer is Uh, You you know, the answer is gonna come from the the people who are actually putting money on your table And then the third thing is make sure your plan is one of prioritization not timing and then obviously timing is a part of that plan But what comes first? Maybe because it has the longest uh, uh, lead time, or it's an important statement about what um, uh, where the company needs to be. But you know, could be rather than the website, it could be that uh, doing the website requires a vision mission statement uh, refresh, uh, and getting that done might be the first big play to make is to get make sure that's done. Um, but getting that done the right way is a really important first step. So the main advice to any marketers is to make sure you're thinking about very carefully, what are the pieces that need to be put together and make sure you're not doing it just in a vacuum, that you're engaging the the company and the customers. That's great advice, David.
1: I really appreciate you being here on Confessions of a Marketer. I think our audience has learned a lot.
0: Great. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. I
1: really want to thank David Cooperstein for the great discussion. Next time we're talking supplier management and other marketing curiosities with John Hayworth. Hope you can join us then. This episode Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. The theme music was written by T. Jordan of A-Class Productions. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global, Inc. And this episode is copyright 2017. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time.
0: You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home-free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to TobaccoFreeCA.com to learn how to stay safe.